Okay, so today we're just going to go over some of the key points we looked at for Margaret Atwood's spotty. So this is for when you um, perhaps need a bit of a refresher or it's been a little while since we looked at some of the craft of writing skills. This is just a quick recap of some of the key points. You can also find important information in any of the PowerPoints that I've sent you. Now, the reason we chose spotty was because we really wanted to look at a text that has some discursive elements because you're expected to write in a discursive style and that can be a little bit challenging if you're unfamiliar with the text type. So just a, a recap, discursive writing has a personal voice, but it, the personal voice isn't attempting to persuade you of a certain perspective. Now, that's a little tricky when we look at Spotty because there are definitely some persuasive elements. But there are also times when she's posing questions that don't necessarily have a clean answer. A lot of her questions are expansive and are asking you to actually think about things rather than providing you a solid answer. Persuasive thinking tends to be very channeled. Whereas discursive is more expansive, it's more like what if, or if we considered it from this perspective, it has a lot more of a andante paced um, way of thinking. And discursive writing is essentially that thought process in written in the written form. Now, a lot of you are writing discursively, but your personal voice, while strong, is coming at the expense of the, the quality of your content. And again, that's why it's really important to look at Spotty because she manages to stay highly academic in her content whilst integrating this sense of personal voice and um, personal discussion. It's almost as if she's figuring out her own thoughts as she speaks. And that's just a crafted, controlled use of language. That's not a reality. She sat down and she's written this speech with a lot of forethought. So what might look or appear to be a meditation on a topic is actually a very calculated, crafted piece of writing. But discursive writing is, it's supposed to be explorative because then you as the reader can explore the topic with her. The problem with persuasive writing is it puts the listener or the reader in a really passive position where you're just receiving somebody else's ideas or receiving somebody else's emotion. Discursive is actually really empowering because it allows you to think and question and feel along with the writer. It doesn't come with the same sort of presumption of agreement that persuasive. Persuasive is almost accusational. Um, and we see a bit of persuasive in Spotty. We see that she uses that, um, the tricolons and the accumulation of high modality language. So in certain elements, she does dip into the persuasive, but then she pulls back and goes back to the discursive. So when we think about why she might do that in terms of authorial purpose, if she stays in persuasive mode the whole time, she will alienate her reader. No one wants to be lectured, really. So to slip in elements of persuasion amidst a primarily discursive text is actually really powerful because your guard's not up. You're not expecting to be persuaded. You're in the discursive, let's explore this together mode. So her little moments of persuasive power are actually more effective because the, the reader is not prepared. We ha you haven't guarded yourself against that kind of rhetoric. So again, it's, a it's an example of a really skilled writing style. So if, when you're thinking about your own writing and the craft of writing, think about how you can emulate these qualities. The important thing to remember is that it's not a close study of text. You don't need to look up the feminist context of Spotty or understand the biography of Atwood or any of those things. You really need to look at how she uses language to create a certain effect and how you can basically do the same. 
So it's the idea that kind of like in reading to write that when we read, we learn how to be better writers. And a lot of her writing has that metatextual element where she looks at writing and the writing process. And again, you can learn a lot from her. She is a brilliant writer. So when we're looking at Spotty as a text, um, worry less about the content, though the content is obviously the platform through which we see the language, but worry more about, or think more, don't worry, about um, some of the elements. So if we're looking at discursive, it's a very hybrid text type in itself because it has a critical kind of content, but can also integrate elements of other styles of writing. So discursive can contain humorous elements, which we normally associate with persuasive writing, and it can contain imaginative elements, which we usually associate with prose. So in Spotty, for instance, on one hand, she's um, speaking in a very academic, um, critical style, I suppose, but she uses its this discursive tone. So she alternates between these really highbrow, erudite intertextual references to Shakespeare, to um, Jekyll and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So a lot of the canonical literary pieces we've been brought up with. Um, but then she'll switch to to a lot more casual idioms, like um, I think she says something about um, wild horses. So using those idioms balance out the critical tone and the imaginative elements have a similar effect. So she might be speaking, um, you know, about the crafting of characters in literature, which is potentially a really dry topic, but she balances it with these really imaginative similes and metaphors like wrestling a pig in the dark. That kind of imagery brings an otherwise very academic topic to life, and it's that that maintains engagement. Because when we're looking at authorial purpose, we've got to look at the text type, and it's a speech. She wants people to listen to her realistically, you're not going to listen to a 10-page speech, however many minutes that would go for. I think it's eight or something. You're not going to listen to... Actually, it might be more than that. But you're not going to listen to a speech that doesn't have other elements to maintain interest. So when you're asked a question in the craft of writing, consider your audience and your purpose. What do you need to maintain their interest? What do you need in order to exact your purpose as a writer? What is your purpose as a writer? So it's about thinking of language, not just in terms of how do I write this and answer this question, but how do I think like a writer? So that's why we really wanted you to look at um, Spotty. And just in terms of the, the hybridity, I know that's probably a little bit confusing because we're looking at so many different text types sort of embedded into one, but um, that's why it's a great case study. So in terms of the persuasive element of her, I think she establishes what I like to call personal, global, personal. And that's just my term for it. Um, the concept is that you can introduce a global concept if you establish personal relevance. And that's ultimately one of the fundamentals of sophisticated persuasive writing. Because if you can't establish personal relevance, people won't feel your story or your point. But if you can't establish global relevance, it has no resonance. So you need both. So she talks about characters as a larger issue with gender constructs in our society. She talks about novels in the greater societal sense. But she also talks personally of her childhood and her daughter's childhood and a play about breakfast. And it's the balance between anecdote and global relevance that maintains the ultimate equilibrium of the speech. All texts are about balance, a balance of discursive and persuasive, a balance of imaginative and critical. Even an imaginative text has a critical element in the thought process. It's just not as visible. But in her text, she's balanced the really 
critical elements and the global elements with personal anecdote, which brings it to life. We can picture her daughter sitting there having breakfast in a play. We can picture her disappointment that her daughter has not invented a female character that has more to offer than just having breakfast. And there's a humor to that because it's so relatable. So when we're thinking of humor or using humor in our texts, we've got to think, think personal, think self-deprecating, think hyperbolic, because that's where humor is. There's no humor in the global. When we look at global issues, there's nothing really to laugh about. It's only when we reveal a little aspect of our humanity or our underbelly that we find humor. So if you are utilizing humor in a text, be aware of that as an actual craft. And humor is super powerful. It's powerful persuasively and it's powerful in a discursive sense as well because it can lighten a dark or heavy topic. So the idea of gallows humor comes from. So if you have a very serious topic and you want to create a tonal equilibrium in your piece, bring in humor. It's very effective. So in, when we're looking at spotty, um, you can, a few activities you might want to do as revision is you can go through and highlight aspects that are persuasive or that are discursive or that are imaginative. Another thing you might want to do is look at the equilibrium of the text. So look at how she balances the global with the personal, the humorous with the serious. So if you want to move away from that text type um, binary, you can actually start to look at the greater balance of the text where she raises emotional urgency and when she brings it back to a more walking pace academic feel. So you can go through and actually look at not just where she's done it, but how she's done it. Sentence structure is huge here. When we want to build up a sense of emotional urgency, we shorten our sentences or we use tricolons or um, lexical chains to create this sense of momentum. Whereas longer sentences are more suited to the discursive style because it has that slow, explorative feel to it. So actually look at the way she's punctuated her text. Look at where she's used commas, semicolons, full stops, and notice the way that affects the emotional tone. You could even use little emojis. So you could go through and think, all right, this is a discursive. I'm going to use a bit of a a quizzical emoji face. You could find this is persuasive, so you use an intense emoji face. Whatever works for you in terms of looking at the way language creates different emotional reactions. So a really key thing when we're looking at text is ways to make it fun or interesting for you. Nothing's worse than just taking notes the way you think you're supposed to rather than a way that is meaningful for you. So whatever works for you with annotating this text, do so because that's what's going to stay with you. Now, in terms of the writing tasks that we looked at with Spotty, um, quite, there were quite a few blank faces, and I think that's good and normal at this point in the unit. But what's important about that was, or about this, is what we take away from it. So I'm just going to do a quick recap of some of the things that we looked at that might need addressing. So I'm going to read a few statements, and again, because I know some of you didn't do this at the time, just write down what applies to you, but more importantly, what you're going to do about it. Okay, so for instance, the first one is, I think I need to read more text in my own time so that it isn't so challenging to think of an intertextual reference. It's very easy to write this down and forget about it, but make a commitment to yourself. I'm going to read a text a week. That might be a short story. That might be a poem. That might be um, 
a discursive piece. It might be an essay. It might be a feature article. But making a commitment to yourself means that things are actually put into action. So remember, we've got to establish really good habits this year. Particularly when you go into the Christmas holidays, you have a really beautiful opportunity to develop yourself as writers because skills are not made overnight. It's like trying to learn violin. You can't cram for a violin exam. English is, and particularly the craft of writing is a skill subject. So I'm going to read the statements. I just want you to write down the ones that apply to you and more importantly, what you want to do about it. So the first one, as I just read, is I think I need to read more texts in my own time so that it isn't so challenging to think of an intertextual reference. This isn't just important in terms of using intertextual references because that's just one literary device, but it's actually important in terms of your reflection on how reading has made you a better writer. It's very hard to justify that reading has made you a better writer if you haven't read. (laughs) So, obviously. Um, So please read and reflect on how the writer has made you think and feel in a certain way and what their purpose might be. The next one is, I'd like to be a little clearer on grammatical rules so that I can play around with punctuation. This is a fun one. I know it doesn't sound fun, but the great thing about things like imaginative text types and even persuasive is you can break some of the rules of grammar, but it's hard to know how to break rules you don't know to begin with. So some of you need to still revise that subject, object, verb stuff we're talking about in class for your critical sentence structure, but try, um, once you've got your head around a solid sentence, try creating more compound sentences or using tricolons, using some of the the structures that at would use to bring punctuation to life. If you think about a song or a poem, punctuation is huge in the way that we understand meaning. So where we pause and where we keep going actually has a huge impact on emotional tone. So write that down if that applies to you. The next one is, this task made me realize that I need to revisit some persuasive strategies as I'm not quite clear on how to use language to make an argument. This is pretty common. And look, you haven't probably looked at persuasive strategies explicitly since year nine. And that's when you're really looking at some of the basics of persuasive writing. So when you're starting to look at the more sophisticated constructs of persuasive writing, like personal, global, personal, um, and creating a rapport with the audience, um, it might be a little bit out of your scope of experience. Another great way to brush up on that other than submitting drafts is to read more persuasive texts. If you find a speech, you will find a strong persuasive element. So have a look at them and figure out what they're doing and how they're doing it. The next one is, I believe that I need to do more imaginative thinking routines that I'm not stuck with the dreaded blank page phenomena. This again is an easy one to address. You can do little intervention styles for a book you might be reading at home. Even writing a diary is amazing because it's about putting feelings into words. You don't ever have to share that diary, but it just gets you in the habit of translating your emotional reality onto a page. The next one is, um, I'd like to brush up on my ability to identify language techniques as I find it difficult to identify techniques on my own. So a great way to do that is to find a text you've read in your own time, annotate it and bring it in and I'll check it. I'll say, yeah, I can see where you're going there. But me constantly modeling it to you doesn't actually teach you that independence. The best way to learn is to do. So go do it and bring it to me and I'm happy to direct you in terms of where you're going. Um, I'd like to, the next one is, I understand the premise of the craft of writing, but when it comes to writing under pressure, I think I'll need more practice. I think that's everybody. So use time to practice. I sent you that PowerPoint with all those little mini writing activities. Try writing on a page and be hard on yourself and give it a time limit. Don't go to the fridge and get chocolate or pat the cat or pee your socks, just write. And if you hate it, you can throw it out. You're not bound to it. 
Your identity does not go onto that page. So give it a go and just give yourself the room to make mistakes. The next one is, um, my discursive writing will need more work as I'm not sure how to move away from a formal critical tone. I think that's most of us, to be honest, um, in the class at the moment. So again, give it a go, bring it in, show me what you've done, show your um, study buddy. You're a very strong group. So use each other as much as you can. Now that's the first podcast for Spotty. Um, So please refer back to this if you're stuck or you've forgotten um, some of the key aspects of our first prescribed text for the craft of writing. Um, Each podcast, I'm going to do a shout out to a class member so I can check if you're listening. Um, Today's shout out is to Helena. So hello, Helena. Okay, bye.